Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. I am repentant uh, without a drink and happy to be with you um, in this Uh, season of Lent, Ashley. Yes, it's the season of Lent, but it's feeling like spring right now in New York, which is very exciting. I think we broke 50 degrees. Well, you know, I always think it's interesting because Lent oftentimes does, like, it always starts in, like, the worst part of winter, um, at least in our hemisphere. Um, But spring does happen sometime in the middle of it, or you do get that first, like, day where you kind of, like, open the windows, you put on the lighter jacket. And I I do think there is some, like, it's, it's a nice reminder in the middle of Lent that, you know. It doesn't all have to be suffering all the time that there is hope at the end. Yeah. I was just trying to say, though, I'm happy to be with you. I'd rather be outside. (laughs) Oh, for sure. No, I 100% feel that. Um, But uh, so we're not we don't have anything to drink this week, but I do think we wanted to, like, take a moment to uh, welcome some new listeners. We last week we had our conversation with Father Richard Rohr, which was amazing. And we know there's a lot of new people listening because the the numbers were really good. So if you're new to this (laughs) podcast, welcome. Um, We wanted to let you know you can expect conversations like the one we had with Father Richard last week, but want to give you a sense of what a a quote unquote normal show looks like as well. Right. So when it's not Lent, it is often over drinks. So we enjoy a themed cocktail or whatever's left over from the weekend. Right. And that's not, it's not just to be like cute and unnecessarily annoying and young. Um, but we're trying to simulate conversations over with friends and maybe at a bar. So that's, that's the reason for that. Um, we also cover throughout the show, um, Catholic news. So this is the section signs of the times that's always at the top. And then the, the meat of the show is an interview. And the third part of our show is called Consolations in Desolations, which is a a Jesuit spiritual practice. But what it means for this show is that we are attempting to explain and suss out uh, where we found God in our lives throughout the week or where we didn't in the desolation part. So, yep. So thank you so much for for listening. uh, And we hope you will stick around for the rest of this episode. Speaking of, we have a very exciting interview to share with you this week. Yes, it's not new but it's a great one we um back in the spring of 2020 we talked to pete holmes he's a comedian and the host of you made it weird a podcast and the author of the memoir comedy sex god um and he's a huge fan of richard Rohr. (laughs) right and and throughout this interview he refers to father richard Rohr as richie um so they are they're (laughs) clearly tight um and you know you might think that we're being lazy and running an old interview um 
We're, we're not. We are running an early interview, but it's not because we are lazy this time. Um, it's sort of like, you know, re-listening to this, it was sort of like reading a book that you didn't understand as a child, right? And then when you get older, you look back and you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, it just yeah. felt right after this conversation with Father Richard that, you know, this makes a whole lot more sense now. So whether you've heard it um, before in the spring or, or you're new to the show, um, it's worth a listen again for sure. It's a really wonderful conversation. Uh, Pete is very vulnerable in it about his own faith journey. Um, and he talks about it with great humor and and self-awareness in a way that shows that he really is someone who has taken Father Richard Rohr's um, spiritual insights to heart and is really trying to live them out in his own life. And he was willing to share that with us uh, in a really honest way. Yeah, there's a reason that uh, Father Richard calls him the uh, the new Tom, maybe the new Thomas Merton uh, when he blurbs <laughs> his, his memoir. Um, so uh, stick around for that. We, you're going to hear... Uh, a third voice on the show, our, who is our colleague Vivian, who is a huge Pete Holmes fan and suggested that we bring him on the show. And so we couldn't have that conversation without her. So you'll, you'll be introduced to her. Um, but first, we wanted to let you know a few words about one of our sponsors this week. So one of the many sad realities of this pandemic that we're living through is no traveling. So are you starting to go stir crazy i am i love to travel it's like one of my it's one of the pillars of the like things i fill my life with is traveling and exploring um and it's been really hard to stay put throughout this pandemic well good news yes um with one of our sponsors this week the great courses plus you can explore new parts of the world all from you know wherever you are whether you're on the go whether you're in your home doesn't matter Yes. So the course is The Holy Land Revealed with Professor Jody Magnus. She's an archaeologist, but has a deep religious and historical understanding um, and really makes the makes the place come alive. And Zach, you and I have both been there. So what are you what are you hoping to get out of going back (laughs) in this course? Yeah, It's wild. The Holy Land was actually the last place I visited. I was there at the end of February 2020 um, with America Mm -hmm. Media's pilgrimage. Um, So it was sort of the last thing I got to do. So it's loomed very large in my mind. But the Holy Land is an amazing place. And it's not some I had always said like, oh, yeah, I want to get there someday. But you don't realize you know, how impactful it is until you're on the ground there, seeing the like it, the physical place where, where Jesus walked. It's not like this. I knew in my head that they were theoretically real places, but then when you're, someone points out, oh, that's the Sea of Galilee, like it's, it's really mm-hmm. there, um, comes alive in, a, in an entirely new way. Right. Yeah. I got to go back in 2012, not with America, uh, but with my family. And I think, yeah, exactly what you said, that it comes alive. But what I think struck me the most is that it comes alive because there have been people, Christians, living there for 2,000 years, keeping it alive. Like, mm-hmm. it, it didn't have to be that way. Um, and you, and it really gives you a sense of being a part of this living tradition that goes all the way back to <laughs> this part of the world. Right. And that and that part of the world is obviously not just limited to our tradition, the, the Catholic Christian tradition, but it's important um, to Judaism, Islam, and a number of people around the world. Um, and whether you've been there or not, this course, the Holy Land Revealed from the Great Courses Plus, is going to just expand your, if, you, if you've already been, it's going to expand some of the things that you've already seen, introduce you some new ones. Um, and if you've never been, this is a great primer to get a sense of the lay of the land, the history of the people. Um, and, and also, you know, maybe, I think I'm watching this again, and I'm already ready to go back, right? Like, I'm, <laughs> it's, not, it's not like a redo for me. I'm learning so much. Yeah. And listeners of this show can sign up and get an entire month of unlimited access to The Great Courses Plus for free, which is an amazing deal and gives you 
thousands of amazing lectures from professors around the world. So head over to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash Jesuitical. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash Jesuitical. And now it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What's our first story, Zach? So first story this week is a classic, where is a saint's body gonna (laughs) actually live story? I know this comes up periodically, we'll get into this a little bit, but every time this comes up, I want to talk about it because it's so Catholic and so weird um, that it just is worth talking about. So subject this week is the Venerable Mother Cornelia Connolly, who you might want to, if you don't know who she is, she founded the Society of the Holy Child Jesus, which is a global congregation of nuns responsible uh, mostly for education, um, and someone who had a pretty crazy life. Right. So she was like a rich heiress living in the United States, married um, a man who uh, was an Episcopalian priest who decided he wanted to become a Catholic priest after doing the spiritual exercises with the Jesuits, forced her to take a vow of chastity. She already had kids at this point. She was stuck into a convent, lost control of her kids. Um, And basically, she yeah, she founds this congregation and is responsible for the education of thousands of children, but rarely sees her own kids for the rest of her life. Yeah. So her whole life story is this like sense of um, we, there's a great America article we'll link to kind of outlining this where the, the running theme is that she is only somewhat in control of her own life, right? Um, and it's obedient to a lot of men. And that's more complicated by the fact that it's some it, before she became a nun and converted, she, she owned slaves in the United States. And so there's this, that's all sort of the pretext to now there's a big argument where her body's going to lay. Right now, it is in one of the schools that she helped found. It's in a 14th century chapel there. But the society that she founded is hoping to move it all the way to Philadelphia, where she was raised. So why would the church want to fight over where this poor woman is buried? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One is devotional. Um, you know, it's a long practice in the Catholic Church to venerate the bodies and relics of holy people. And, you know, that's a natural thing. We, we all hold on to... Um, physical things that belong to people we love. So it makes sense that, you know, we we love our saints and we want to be near them. Uh, so uh, bringing Mother Cornelia's body to Philly is ostensibly being done so that people can come and venerate this foundress. Right. And the society is interested in it because it's, you know, really like that will lead to hopefully some intercessory prayer. Maybe she'll get credited with a few miracles. And then all of a sudden the founder of their uh, congregation is a saint, which is all well and good. Um, and there, But that is sort of like straddling the line between like devotional and political, I feel like. And that brings up sort of another reason. And that's geographical locations have fought over the remains of saints basically since the church started, right? You know, all the, there are countless examples of people claiming to have either a piece of someone's bone or body that was an apostle or, you know, the the true cross supposedly has a billion pieces in it and various churches around the world have it. And this isn't an ancient thing. This happens pretty regularly. Just a couple of years ago, um, there's the example of uh, Blessed Fulton Sheen, who was a priest of the Diocese of Peoria in Illinois, um, but is buried was buried underneath St. Patrick's Cathedral, where he was a bishop until 2019, after it went to court in New York State over whether or not Peoria could request the body back. Right. So these fights can get pretty unseemly. And and because of these incentives, there are also forgeries of <laughs> relics and that sort of thing. So it's like, as, as beautiful as it is that there's this like 
incarnational desire among Catholics to like have have the body pieces. Uh, I can understand why an outsider might think this is a very weird part of Catholicism. Yes. Um, but, you know, it's funny whether y- you mention it, it can lead in some cases to uh, this like counterfeit relic market that exists in the Catholic Church, which is you can look at on the one hand, it's like, OK, well, all these people are suckers and they're they're venerating a fake piece of the true cross. How what losers on the other hand you know part of being church and part of like what makes a place holy is the common like common devotion of a group of people and that itself is what sanctifies a place a lot of the time so in a certain sense whether or not it's it's real or not quote unquote doesn't matter it's sort of a little bit of the hot take buried underneath there um but it is a bit of a sad coda to mother cornelia Connolly's legacy um she she was you know a complicated woman um had an amazing crazy life um and we will link to a, a biography of her in our show notes what's our next story ashley this week the united states marked a grim milestone 500,000 people have died from COVID-19 over the past year. Yeah, it's a number that is just really difficult to wrap your head around. Um, To mark it, President Joe Biden uh, observed a moment of silence with Vice President Kamala Harris and their families at the White House. Um, And President Biden delivered remarks beforehand, noting that this is happening during the season of Lent, uh, which is, as he called it, a season of reflection and renewal. And later that evening, Cardinal Wilton Gregory, the Archbishop of Washington, D.C., went on CNN with Jake Tapper and prayed for the country. We humbly ask the creator of all to grant eternal peace to all our sisters and brothers lost to this disease. Strengthen those families and friends who remain behind to comfort one another and to wipe the tears from our eyes. Yeah, he it's he also Gregory also appeared next to President Biden at a memorial service at the Lincoln Memorial last month. Um, it's just it just feels like the, the 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 toll keeps coming and coming and coming, and it is it's so hard to comprehend. And it, it, the, these public rituals of mourning it feels really important right now. And to mark the one-year anniversary of the coronavirus pandemic in the United States, American Media will be broadcasting a prayer service uh, that you can tune into on our YouTube and Facebook page. Yeah, so that's again going to be on March 12th at noon, and we'll provide more details later. But we hope you can join us as we prayerfully remember everybody that's been lost to COVID-19. And now stick around for our conversation with Pete Holmes. two-year-old who would much rather you be playing with her so we appreciate you taking the time yeah it's been a trip um (laughs) she got up at six this morning which was three and a half hours ago and uh it was one of those mornings where i'm like by eight i was like we've done everything (laughs) (laughs) that we do like but it really is a very deep spiritual practice because if you think, what are we going to do? And then what are we going to do? And then what are we going to do? You're instantly miserable. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like your your child is a, is a good spiritual teacher, uh, but I'm hoping we can go back to when you were a child first. Um, sure. So you, you grew up being pretty into religion. I think it's fair to say, um, how, you know, looking back 
all these years later. How would you describe that God you grew up with? Yeah, I, th- it, it's pretty common, although I guess I'll, I'll play it safer and just speak for myself. It's basically uh, a nudge to the right of Zeus. <laughs> it's it's uh, and it and it's very, I believe it's Socratic. It's very Socrates. It's very like uh, the body is evil and and the spirit is elsewhere. And then it's also Greek and that uh, there's a there's an old man on a throne in the sky. And by the way, if anybody still believes in that God, I don't want to belittle that. I actually I discuss that in my book. There's there's a way in which that is a, a true and and certainly valid and fine way to look at things. But I did take it very very literally. Um, the God that I believed in, I joke in the book, was the Burger King King. If you remember those <laughs> commercials, they sort of had a resurgence in the early two thousands, I think, and that was my God. Which, you know, and this is sort of what I, what happened was I, I, I lost my faith. And then the way that I started to get back into it was Joseph Campbell. And Joseph Campbell taught me what a metaphor is. And as our, as my homeboy Richard Rohr says, metaphor is the only language we have to speak about the divine. That, that reopened, that reintroduced me in a loving way to that attempt at understanding the ununderstandable, which is the divine mystery, which is, okay, uh, old, meaning eternal, meaning it's been around a long time. Uh, man, unfortunately, means powerful. I, I, I'm not agreeing with that, but I think that's why Zeus is a man and, and this god that I pictured was more like a dad energy. He was powerful. <laughs> and above us, meaning he had like a, a higher perspective. If you climb a mountain, you can see the whole town, right? So he's all-knowing, and he's been around and he's powerful. So my whatever intellectual proclivity or whatever you want to call it, wanted to go deeper and wanted to deconstruct what I really meant by that, because I do not believe in an old man in the sky. But as George Harrison would say, it's also that too. It is that. It is that. If, if that's what you want, it's that too. How would you describe the the church community that you grew up in? I, I grew up as a youth group kid, so I was reading your, yeah. your bio. A, a lot of things rang felt true. Um, even yeah. though I was in a Catholic youth group and sounds like you were in uh, a non-denominational one. What was the, what was that church community like for you? Yeah. I always felt like non-denominational in my church, which was Grace Chapel was just code for evangelical. I don't know why mm-hmm. we call ourselves non-denominational. Yeah. Like if you were Pentecostal and you went there, you would have felt out of place. If you were Catholic and you went there, you would have felt out of place. But I understand the sentiment and I'm not even I'm not trying to be a nice guy here. I understand what they're going for, and I admire that. They call themselves non-denominational. In my experience, the more I saw evangelical churches, I was like, we were an evangelical church. We were missions-based. I went on a lot of missions trips. We were believing uh, very, very literally and firmly that you had to invite Jesus into your heart. Usually, um, and I, this isn't me putting words in their mouth, this was explained in a pamphlet that was in every pew back that was like, you need to pray this prayer and then Jesus will come in your heart and then you will not go to hell. You will not be, and let's be clear what that means. You will not be tortured forever in conscious living pain as your separate self in a place called hell. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, So that was our mission. Um, And that is why we went on missions trips. I mean, like for a lot of my life, I, when I had to explain it, 
you know, I'm a comedian, so not a lot of my friends were religious in any way. I I would sort of dodge it by being like, yeah, we built houses. It was like Habitat for Humanity. That's sort of true, but we were building a house, like putting pizza out at a youth group to try and get kids over or try to get the Yanomami Indians over so we could say, hey, you're going to hell. <laughs> you know, that, that was, that was, it was a bait and switch. There was a house, <laughs> but that's, <laughs> that's not, that's not why we were there. Um, although the house was nice. Um, so the community was, and I really, I, I, I'm, I'm currently practicing keeping my heart open because I do have a love for this community and I was a part of this community. So when I'm talking about it, as Richie, my Richard Rohr would say, I'm trying to transcend and include. I've I've moved elsewhere, but I'm trying to in- include, right? But the feeling was very, uh, you know, it, I'm just going to speak frankly because I'm a comedian. It felt very phony. It was very phony. It was like, it was a social scene. It was sort of like a country club uh, in that sense. From my child perspective, it might be different now, but it was where you went to be nice. And that was the Christianity that I still find myself having to redefine is the the Christianity of polity and the Christianity of just, uh, you know, I knew how my parents were at home and then I knew how we were at church. And that's where I sort of learned that you not only wore church clothes, but you wore a church disguise. And, and, and that was the what I learned was like, you want to fit in because these are nice people and they're good people and you want their love and you want to feel normal. It was very much like, Hey brother. That was like my youth pastor, like just like a lot of enthusiasm (laughs) and a lot of positivity. And then I don't want to jump ahead, but I remember somebody that I I actually love very dearly, even though I, I think we probably disagree on a lot of things theologically one of the associate pastors, when my um, wife and I split up and one of the few times that I went to church after that, he said to me, he goes, yeah, the church doesn't really know what to do with pain. And I was just like, thank you. Like, it, I still love that, man. Like, we still text wow. sometimes, even though, like, I, I, I don't know his theology. And, and frankly, it's too hot button for me to get into. You know what I mean? It's like, there's certain folks for better or worse i just don't want to get into it i don't know why maybe i'm wrong but i'm still grateful that he was like honest enough to be like we fail in these situations because it wasn't the christianity of divorce it's the christianity of uh things going well and and that and that was my burger king king god was was a, a protection service i didn't swear i didn't drink i didn't smoke i didn't have sex and that was how I paid into the mafia that my wife, when I got married when I was 22, would not have an affair. And then when she did, I was like, well, what is this all about? I thought I was doing my part. And that's when I got very interested in Buddhism and Hinduism. And, and, and I ended up circling back to Christ, but a Christ that is inclusive, which is weird that you have to say this about a faith that's centered on the crucifixion of a man. Uh, you know, that we have to remind yeah, that's us. that's pretty painful. That's well, what that, I'm saying. Catholics are staring at that like every week. I, I'm not saying we are necessarily better at handling our, our trauma and our pain, but but it's definitely present more, I feel like, in our No, and dude, I, you're right on the money. 
I used to be so proud of the Protestant cross because it was Jesusless, because we were worshiping the risen Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And now, because I'm so into Richard and other wonderful theologians like him, the point is Jesus on the cross. The point <laughs> is winning by losing. The point is the suffering and the solidarity of God in our suffering, that when I am suffering, and a lot of us are suffering right now, that God is also suffering. That is the point. Instead of the country club, everyone's nice here, everyone's saved here, let's have a ham sandwich, and let's just be polite, and 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 no one knows what to do Again, maybe it's different now, but nobody knows what to do with the divorce Mm -hmm. because you just farted in the elevator. You're ruining the (laughs) illusion for all of us. We're God's chosen people. He doesn't let your wife have an affair. He doesn't, you know, you're a loser. You're a loser. And we're winners. Look at our clean clothes and look at our... Our, our our spread like we are winners. Jesus rose. He have you heard the good news? We're the we're the in group, and and you can't have a divorce in the in group. Like, yeah, um, uh, he, I kind of I kind of want to go back to that sense of community that you had. It was so kind of influential to who your identity, who you were. What did it feel like to know that maybe you when you didn't fit in it, or like? What was going through your mind when you realized that there was that this facade that the community that you'd grown up with was maybe not what you believed or wanted to believe anymore? Yeah, it it happened when I so clearly, and th- that's what the book is about. Is it's the story of losing my? I was I wanted to call it "Lose Your Faith to Find It." I thought that was kind of like a funny title, like "Lose Your Faith" in big w- letters and then mm. to find it in small mm-hmm. letters, kind of like. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost like clickbait. I wanted to like excite you and then be like, but I'm, I'm with you. I love God. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, But so I thought that was cheesy. So I went with a a different title or whatever, but it came when my wife, uh, who was also evangelical, we we met in a, a Christian college and then she had an affair. So it's important to note that that's when I'm 28. So it was working, but it wasn't working. I mean, like, my, one of my great teachers, Ramdas, uh, was a teacher, at, a professor at Harvard, right? And and at a time when that was even more prestigious and and exciting, and he he talks about it in a similar way that I feel about the church when I grew up is that they were all going around as if they had it, and he was like, but deep down, somewhere unspeakable, he knew they didn't have it. You know what I mean? It was still phony, what, right? It was phony. It was it was just playing the role of the academic, right? Of the guy who has it. And mm-hmm. and again, I'm just speaking about myself. There were probably brilliant. I'm going to stop apologizing, by the way. But there were probably <laughs> brilliant people in genuine relationship with God for sure, without a doubt. But for me, it was about playing a part, looking like a winner looking normal, looking American, looking, you know, there's that line in The Departed where he's like, you should get married. Uh, Married men do better. Uh, I won't say it in the language he said it, but he's like, it lets people know that you're straight. It lets people know that Mm -hmm. you're sexually active. Um, So there's this posturing to it. 
And and that's true. Uh, married people do tend to do better in the workforce, you know, because of this sort of mammalarian signal. And and that's what was going on with church. So it worked as long as the chips kept coming my way. Uh, I felt fine in the country club religion because it was working, and I was clean and fine. Um, so when my wife and I split, and I looked back, it was. Um, a loss that I had to mourn. It it manifested first, as it does with a lot of former believers, as anger. And I sort of uh, became one of those people that loved telling people that what no nobody wrote anything that Jesus said down until 150 years after he died. Stuff like that. You know what I mean? Basically, my mm-hmm. Bill Maher phase. I, I'm not putting yeah. down Bill Maher. I'm just saying, like, I went and saw Religious shortly after my divorce, and I was like, this is my stuff. I love this. Like, I'm going to be the guy that goes like, you really believe a snake told a naked lady to eat an apple? <laughs> and, dude, if there's one thing I can say, because I know... Uh, people of faith and and people interested in faith listen to this podcast. I just want to put a time limit on that period. I'm going to say four years. You can't stay the uh, uh, angry. I was going to say ugly. Maybe that's a Freudian slip, but an ugly, angry deconstructionist for more than you were in college. You just can't. It's like, it's boring. We've heard it. It's over. Like if you're done with it, be done with it. But going around like like I was sort of tempted to do, and telling people who were just like you, you just you were just like them, telling them that they're idiots. It's like people that quit smoking that immediately start lecturing smokers on how stupid they are when you were a smoker thirty days ago. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? And that so that anger. And it's natural. I'm giving you four years. That's pretty generous to be angry and to and to belittle and to condescend. Enjoy it. It's natural. It's emotion. It's a part of being human. But if there's one thing I can share on this podcast that I want to get out there, it's like, please put a time limit on it for the sake of your heart and for the sake of others. If you want to be done with it, be done with it. But the angry militant, like, you idiots, like, find some compassion and find some patience and, and find something new to say. Um, but but it, it first manifested as anger then disappointment and sadness. I went through all the stages of grief and then the reconstruction. But it, it also seems like I thought one of the most poignant parts of your book is you describe having dinner with your parents and your brother. Um, and it's kind of like right before you go into your atheist phase and he's, he's doing the thing he does where he, you know, quizzes you about like, okay, so like, are babies going to hell or are everyone who died in the Holocaust, they're going to hell. Am I going to hell? And like it, that qu- yeah. question like hits you in a new way. Um, yeah. So it seems like when you, enter this phase of, you know, not being a part of your old community, not really believing in God, you lost a lot, but you were able to like gain a new perspective that also like very opening and let you love maybe a wider community in a new way. Oh yeah. I, there's a line in the book where I say I became far more Christ-like after I stopped being a Christian and I got my first taste of freedom, a freedom I still enjoy by the way, which is the freedom of what I like to call um, heart-centric atheists, like Penn Jillette talks about the cornerstone of atheism being I don't know, 
right? It sort of became the certainty that there is nothing going on. But really, what what he taught me is that atheism at its core, as a revolution, as like something pretty modern, was, I don't know. And he's like, no scientific movement, no government movement, no king, no teacher ever had before this the the gall to be like, I don't know. And when I went into the place of I don't know, which I still, of course, have, even though I have all these words and all these thoughts and all these practices, it's still built on a pretty substantial foundation of I don't know, and we don't know, and we actually can't know. We can get into that later. You can become, you can merge with, you can flow with, but you can't know or hold it. You can just kind of lose yourself into the mystery. Once I got that, the reason the chapter is called a Horatheist is because I was a Horatheist. I loved it. It was wonderful. I was walking around with the burden of believing that every Jew in the Holocaust went to hell. Like, that is not good news. That is a terrible terrible, terrible burden that if you are an imaginative and tender-hearted kid like I was, and I hope that I still am, that is a heavy thing to walk around with and have to tell my brother that the monk that falls in the ravine that never hurt anybody, he's going to hell, or the person that grew up on an island and never heard of Christ, he's going to hell. But when I read Love Wins, I was like, that's right on. This, this burden needs to be addressed. And when I uh, became an atheist, which by the way, my father, even though he read my book, said to my mother, I was there. He was like, he doesn't mean it. He was never an atheist. (laughs) He he, He couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't allow that in. And even though I thought if I wrote a book and put my life in black and white, it would finally reach my parents. It doesn't matter they'll smokescreen and they'll snow job anything that I say to stay the child that they imagine me to be. It doesn't matter how many times I tell this story on podcasts because he can't handle that. I f- was, I dropped it and I received a lot of freedom and spaciousness that, by the way, I still enjoy now in Christ. Do you understand? Like, it's not just for them. The choices aren't dogma and drudgery or freedom, <laughs> there's freedom, believe it or not, in faith. It, it doesn't have to be uh, shackles. It, it was never supposed to be shackles. Why do you think so many people find comfort in that sort of black and white, in-crowd versus out-crowd message, when it seems pretty clear that that's not really what Jesus was about? No. Jesus, I mean— now that I study Jesus again and, and read Richard again, or not again, or found Richard Rohr, I mean, he one of my favorite things that Richard says in almost all of his books is, how did we miss this? And if you look at the stories and the parables and the teachings of, of Jesus, it's over and over and over these stories, which as Rob Bell says, which basically the point is you can't divide infinity which I love, meaning like you need to step out of that dualistic in-out mentality. He's always telling stories of people who arrive late to the workday but get paid the same. He tells stories about things being lost and then and then found the, the, the story of the forgiving father. Of course, the prodigal son comes back 
by rights, our ego wants that son to be punished, the, and, and the good son wants the bad son to be punished, and he's not. And guess who hates that story? The ego. The ego wants to know it's special. I'm a comedian. I'm in show business. I'm an ego expert. I understand. I, I want to be adored for a living. So I have a master class in what the ego is. And it does not want to think that everybody's already accepted. It wants to think it's earned and special and our club is in and your club is out. It feels good because if we let go of that, the ego for some reason wants to exist and it starts to vanish. If you take away its specialness or its conflict or its its debates, it's in the scriptures, it's in the scriptures. If you take that away from it, it vanishes. And that is very, very, very uncomfortable. If you just start to feel like you are nothing or you're everything, or you're just another wave in the ocean, you don't want to be a wave in the ocean. You want to be the most special, beautiful wave. You know what I'm saying? It's it's a huge threat. And that's why another great thing to share is Richie's, the way that Richie puts it is he says, the whole thing is to accept that you are accepted. That's the game. That's conversion is to realize that you were there the whole time. By the way, it's, it's there in Buddhism. It's there in Hinduism. It's there as, as Richie would say, in all of the major religions at their more mature levels, huh? That's what he would say. <laughs> There's a uh, Richard Rohr quote that you've mentioned a couple of times um, in the podcast you host, um, how you do anything is how you do everything. Uh, yeah. And I know this can feel like a lot of pressure for some people instead of maybe like leading them to more awareness. It can feel like I have to do everything perfectly because yeah. once I do something, it's how I do everything. Right. Um, yeah. And I know that can be even more difficult given this time of like, of like quarantine. Well, all we have to do is think about all the things that we're doing. Um, yeah. But I'm wondering how like you see that in kind of the life you are living now, given that we're in just a world that looks very different from where we were. Um, yeah, I, I think something like how you do anything is how you do everything isn't an invitation to critique yourself. It's an, in, it's a, it's an invitation to get curious, as Jack Cornfield would say. Get curious about yourself. There's this great teaching it's in Ramdas wrote this book on meditation. I, for, I forget what it's called, but there's a it's filled with quotes. And one of these quotes is, I believe, is from a Zen monk, and he's talking about like when you're doing a task, one tenth of the task is the task, nine tenths of the task is keeping your center, is, is or we could say not forgetting who you are, or staying in connection, or staying in flow, or staying zoomed out, or staying equanimous, calm staying peaceful, staying in love. You could you could say it however you want. So when you notice that when a plane lands and you're on, back in our old lives and you're on the tarmac for 40 minutes, if you're pinched there, you can get mad at yourself for being pinched. Oh, I blew it. That's sort of willpower Christianity. That's the Christianity I was grown up in. Oh, I've sinned. I'm bad. I'm unworthy. Or you can just go, interesting. If that's how I am here, that's how I am. And I need to, first of all, just having that awareness of it is putting light on it. And that's what casts out darkness, just having some consciousness, not doing things on autopilot, not doing things 
just because these are the ABCs of me, baby. I'm angry. Just going like, oh, I'm angry. What does that say? Where Where is there something tense? Where is there something calcified that I need to breathe some air into, that I need to give some space, that I need to give, that I need to honor and love and, and, and say, what's going on? That's what I do when I'm heckled. If I'm heckled as a standup, you say to the heckler, what's going on? What's up? You know what I'm saying? It doesn't always work because they're often very drunk, but like you can do it to yourself. You're just like, what's going on? You do the same thing with a pain in your body. What is the message here? It's often slow down. Be kind to yourself. Uh, you're doing too much. I need, like, how often have you gotten sick because you just needed a week to watch TV and, and eat crackers? You needed that. So your body's like, well, he's not getting it. Let's, let's shut it down. All right, here you go. So you do that with anything. So. I see the, the, the potential for how you do anything being how you do everything to be like the people that I knew when I was growing up that would try to not sin in a day. Like people that I knew people like that. They were like, I'm just going to, the today will be the day. I think it's possible. I'm going to not sin today. And then at the end of the day, like joy and inside out, all the memories are yellow. Okay, great. We did it. Okay. And then what? If you're micromanaging and you're being that anal retentive and you're being that hard on your flaws and your shadow and your, and your humanity, then that's how you do everything. And that's how you treat your friends. That's how you treat your dog. That's how you're treating your strangers. That's the message. And, and, and it's often just ease up, ease up, ease up. <laughs> So it sounds like you went from like, you know, an adolescence where there were very clear rules to a place where um, maybe, I don't want to say you're, I don't know, how would you describe your kind of like moral guideposts now? Like, do you, is there such thing as sin in your spirituality? Is there, are there rules? Do rules have a place in, in your spirituality or do you think they're can be helpful for other people? Of course. I, I'm a, a big believer. Again, a lot of this was taught to me uh, uh, by people like Richard, but it's like, that's first half of life stuff. And when you're young, or as Ramdas said, you have to be somebody before you can be nobody, right? So you can't just go and tell an eight-year-old that they are the one consciousness <laughs> and, and, and love God and do whatever you want. That doesn't work. The the rules are there. I mean, this is Jesus and the wineskins, right? We're, we're, we're build a container, have a container, but then at a certain point, the container breaks. This is throwing over the tables in the temple. This is the disruption, and that's part of it. That's why I lose your faith to have it. So anyway, when it comes to rules and 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 sin and structure, I'm so glad that I had it. I wish it had been done with more of a twinkle in the eye, more of a, this is just the game we're playing right now because you're a young person. Uh, and when, when you're ready, I'm going to, you know, teach you a little bit more the way of the samurai, you know, like the deep stuff, like this is going somewhere. But I, I kind of, I didn't get that feeling again, maybe it was there and I just was, I, I was not hearing it. But I, sin is is a thing, and sin is static on the radio for me. It's it's uh, it's just you do, you want to not sin, not because of a demerit system, in my opinion, 
but because you want the song. You want the song to come through the radio clean because that's where the life is and that's where the joy is. I, I'm very lax with myself, possibly too much. I don't know if that's possible, but like, I also have some discipline. I, I can identify behaviors that are leading to what I would call hell, leading to isolation, the opposite of connectivity, the opposite of being interconnected, the opposite of knowing who I am, that I am a dignified, valued member of all that is, and behaviors that don't uh, highlight that, behaviors that make me feel isolated and alone and self-sufficient, and I can do everything myself and I don't need anybody. I always go to sexual examples. My problem with Pornography, for example, isn't necessarily pornography, right? Uh, as Jack Cornfield just said on my podcast, he's like, people are lonely. And he had all this compassion for people that are looking at pornography. And it really moved me. I was like, wow, this guy just outloved me. And I really thought that was cool. <laughs> and then I was like, the reason I, for me, am against it uh, at times, you know what I'm saying, when I work on that is because the Pete that's looking at porn and just getting his sexuality out of the way, basically with an app, you know what I'm saying? In the same way that I order food when I'm hungry, you just order images of people having sex when I'm horny, is not the same as cooking with my wife. You know what I'm saying? I can just order a pizza. I ate the pizza. Nothing wrong with it. But like, getting the ingredients and heating up the oven and chopping things with my baby and and val or if it's not, if you're not married with a family your roommate or your friends we all know that's the kingdom of heaven we all know that that joining together and that communion is where Christ tends to show up in even more bright colors so there's nothing wrong with a pizza. There's nothing really wrong with pornography. I know we can get into ethics and pornography and uh exploitation, but I'm saying from a certain altitude, we can just say, you looking at porn and masturbating because you're afraid to share the vulnerability of your need with your partner or with uh, your friends, just telling them, like, I'm blindly horny or I have this weird fantasy. That's where, that's where God is, is, is the acceptance, not the extinguishing of all of our fires. Like, and by the way, most of the time I'm, I'm looking at porn is because I'm angry or I'm scared or I'm alone. You know what I'm saying? That's the sin. That That's the thing I'm trying to clear up. It's not one behavior. It's about, they're like rocks in the river. You move the rock. The rock wasn't evil. The rock wasn't a flaw in the system. The rock was there to teach me, oh, here it is, here's a rock, and here's me moving the rock. Not because the rock is bad, but because I want the river clean and flowing. I want it unattached. I also want it unadversed. I want it to let go and realize, by the way, this is something that Richard talks about, you're in a river. You can let go. It's happening. You and I, everybody on this podcast right now, is moving. We're moving through time and space. Let go, let go, let go. And and that's what sin is to me. It's anything that's, it's keeping me from my connection and it's keeping me from communion with others with, and, and with God and, and people being a vessel for that connection. Yeah. I know you're um, more of a Richard Rohr fan, but I'm wondering 
when when I hear you talking, it sounds a lot like Ignatian spirituality, um, which is you know we're a, we're a Jesuit magazine, so we're we're all kind of steeped in that. So I'm wondering, one, are you familiar with any uh, Ignatian spirituality? And no, I was really excited to talk to you guys because <laughs> I've actually I've emailed Richard because I did his uh, Easter services. He he did these three Easter services over Zoom, and. It was just so wonderful, and I was crying almost the entire time. And I was, my daughter was there. It was early in the morning because of the time difference. And I was holding her, and they're playing hymns and little videos, and there's a little homily, and I'm just s- sort of crying. And and part of this, I believe, is psychology. Like I, I, I completely concede that the first cut is the deepest, and and your first teacher, which for me was Jesus, is always going to have um, special real estate in in your being you know what i'm saying like i feel like if i was raised hindu i'd probably be circling back to hinduism if that makes sense but when i'm going to that service i i emailed them and i was like where where are the people like this it can't just be richard and uh it sounds to me like the jesuits are are in that vein yeah, I mean the thing that I've loved about the Jesuits, I didn't know what they were. I went to until I went to a Jesuit college and they sort of broke down a lot of the 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 walls that I had and these these ideas of God that I had and sort of invited me into something deeper, right? They talk a lot about like finding God in all things. And so a Jesuit is someone who you are happy to bring home to dinner or bring home to a cocktail party or bring to a slum in the developing world. Like they're they're so comfortable in all mm. these different places. Um, I mean, we're clearly biased, but <laughs> I mean, there are definitely some Jesuits in LA that uh, would be worth checking out. I, I hear like a, a, a sense of like desire for community though, in your voice where you're like, I just want somewhere to, to go to take my daughter and my wife. For Is that sure. something you feel that's like lacking right now or? A little bit. I mean, I think about this all the time because I'm afraid of how much it applies to me sometimes. I don't believe this, but I'm going to say it is that hell is other people, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Heaven is other people as well, too, it turns out. But church does scare me a little bit. Um, There's a certain, you see it in any spiritual community. Um, I'm afraid of being false. I'm afraid of falling back into my church mode. Um, where I'm not swearing or I'm not complaining or I'm not gossiping or all these things that I know I'm going to do as soon as I'm in the car. Um, and I'm really yearning for a community that, that is, that is not only inclusive of other people's beliefs and other people's sexualities and other people's everything, but that's inclusive of my humanity as well. But we can get together and enjoy God as we can. Um, it's just, you can hear how loaded it is because, you know, church is sort of a dirty word to, to people like me. So it's really hard to think that, um, and as somebody in show business, if somebody was going to get up and speak, I mean, it's hard for me to not look at it critically from like five different different standpoints. It's hard for me to dissolve into it and surrender to it. So I think I'm afraid of it and I stay away from it. Um, and I get more juice out of books because you can just close the book if it's not for you. <laughs> right. It, it, it's, it gets awkward when you walk out of a, of a stand-up set or a, or a homily. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can't really, can't really do that. <laughs> and maybe that's my, maybe that's my work. I mean, it, it's like, I, I want to be open and, and you're talking about Jesuits being comfortable and I'm talking about nine tenths of the task is not losing your center. Some heavy work remains for me in being able to go home to my parents with my heart open and to be able to go into a place of worship with my heart open. Well, that seems like a good place to end, except for one final question that we ask all of our guests. Um, So if you could canonize someone, Catholic or not, living or dead, fictional or, or real, who would it be and why? And just to make it more interesting. You've basically already canonized Richard. (laughs) So we're not going to let you do him. (laughs) It has to be someone else. (laughs) It doesn't have to be, but no, I hear you. It'd be nice if it was someone else. (laughs) Yes. It sounds like you guys have already canonized Richard. Um, He is that guy that I'm like, is anyone else hearing this? Like, and and when I listen to him, sorry, like, I love that you love him, but then my mom, who's like an accountant loves him and like sends me his emails every day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It makes me excited. There are, I'm not putting down your mom. There's different levels of roar. You know what I mean? There's the intro. I'm not saying your mom's at the introductory level, but you know, the emails (laughs) or, or I see a lot of uh, a lighter introductory roar when you get really into it. He's really iconoclastic and and a little bit dangerous. And, And I wouldn't like him if he wasn't. Um, he's, he's a guy that I feel like you get him off the record. He'd be pretty, pretty wild (laughs) in, in the way that I see the Holy spirit as being ever changing, ever flowing, ever moving. Anyway, um, he, he's already in our canon and that's fine. I love turning people on to the people that have turned me on. Um, so I don't want to just give you one, but, but Ramdas for me was, was huge. I always tell people not to start with Be Here Now. A lot of people start with Be Here Now because that's the the book that sort of everybody knows that book. There's a series called Experiments in Truth um, on iTunes. That's what I tell people. You should listen to him speak. But he's the guy who, when I was hard, hardened uh, to all of this, he's just the saint, the like the patron saint of like, I'm flawed, I'm angry, I'm neurotic. I'm horny and I I also crave living spirit and I I want it and I want to share it with you and by any means necessary and he and he loves Christ and that and then I was like what's going on you know is I write about this in the book that his guru in India was quoting Christ I was like this is so confusing to me I didn't I didn't think that was happening so it w- it would be Ramdas and then Love Wins by Rob Bell is is really, really important, I think, to salve specifically that the hell wound that I think a lot of good-natured and loving people are carrying. Alan Watts, if if now we're we're sort of moving away. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it a crowded Mount Rushmore for you. <laughs> so we can move into Alan Watts, who is for everybody and just go on YouTube and type in Alan Watts and enjoy. And then if you want to make it even less uh, specific, um, you go to Eckhart Tolle and you just say, here's, here's no deification. Here's no symbol system. Here's just someone 
bringing you back into your body, back into your breath and back into the moment. And guess what? As Richard would say, if you're present, you'll feel the presence. So if somebody writes me and people do all the time and they're like, Hey, I'm in a very dark place. I can't handle religion. I always tell them to go to the power of now or the, or a new earth by Eckhart Tolle. Well, Saints Rom, Rob, Allen, and Eckhart, uh, pray for us. Pray for us. Uh, Pete, uh, the book is Comedy Sex God. It's such a great memoir. Congratulations on it. I know it's been out for a little bit now, but it's it, listeners, if you haven't read it, go, go find the book. Um, is there anything else you want to plug right now? Well, um, only because it might be interesting. I wrote two episodes of The Simpsons that are about this. They're so and- good. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so fun. So it, it, they're called Warren Priests. They're on Hulu now. Um, and that that would be cool if people want to check that out. All right. The episodes are Warren Priests. Pete, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. My pleasure. Sincerely, I love this. time for some housekeeping. What do we have this week, Zach? We wanted to take a moment to, again, welcome any new listeners to the show that have stuck around. And we also want to shout out some new Patreon supporters. Thank you so much to Jackie Gadea, Anonymous, whoever you are, and Brittany Baranski. Um, We can't do this show without the support of people like you. So again, thank you. And if you want to support the show, you can join them by visiting patreon.com slash America Media or by subscribing to America. You can do that by visiting americamagazine.org slash subscribe. Yes, thank you. One other thing I wanted to bring up in housekeeping, uh, after our interview with Father Richard Rohr, uh, my parents uh, sent me an email saying that they were inspired to take their Enneagram quiz. And I just thought it was the greatest thing. And so, listeners, if you want to share us, share your Enneagram with us, uh, it's something we're hoping to talk about more in the future. <laughs> I uh, I was uh, admittedly, I did not totally know what we were talking about with Father Richard um, <laughs> with the Enneagram. I've not yet gotten into it, but I did take the test. I won't give away my number yet, but I'm sure you have an idea. <laughs> um, but we are looking to have a, a show dedicated to it. But if you want to talk about the Enneagram beforehand, you can definitely join other Jesuitical listeners. We've got a Facebook group where lots of conversations like this happen. Um, you can hit up je- facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical to talk about the Enneagram. <laughs> All right. And now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God in our lives this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Zach? I have a consolation this week, um, and it's related to Lent because, in which is surprising for me because normally Lent is a time where I am just the only voice I'm hearing is that you should do this, you should do this, you should do this, you should have done better at this, you should have done better at this, you suck, whatever. Um, and yet this year I was really trying to take some of the advice that Father Richard gave us last week to heart, which is that you know just learn you know learn to accept the humiliations that are coming your way. Don't worry so much about the, the form that your Lenten penance takes. And uh, I have done my best to not get too caught up in what I am and am not sticking to. Um, but one of the things that gave me a lot of consolation was uh, there was an article that we published at America that basically was um, what staff members are 
giving up or taking on this year for Lent uh, was not something that I I participated in. But I know you 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 wrote about your Lenten penance there, Ashley. And hearing all the things that people I work with every day but don't necessarily get to this level to um, that. I work with a lot of spiritual, beautiful people that are just like really doing their best and trying their best to get closer to God. Um, And at the same time, we also asked uh, Facebook uh, followers on America's page what they were doing for Lent and everything and all these things that came in. And I think normally I would have been in a in a disposition that saw that and would have felt bad. I would have been in the compare and despair mode. Um, But because of you know, the, the advice I had taken from father Richard, I was really just able to like feel consoled and gratitude for other people being willing to share the gift of their own faith. And that is what is bringing me consolation this week. I will try to help you deepen your Latin practice by sending humiliations your way. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, I, I, I I don't need it. I I have plenty, but, uh, the the ego is strong in this one. So I I will take more. (laughs) What do you got this week, Ashley? I also have a consolation. Uh, So back in, gosh, I'm losing track of time. I think early February when we had uh, Father Jim Martin on to talk about his book. I also did another interview with him um, about about his book, Learning to Pray. And at one point he turned turned on me and made me answer a question about prayer, which I did not appreciate at the time because I didn't want to talk about myself. Um, But he asked me how I prayed and I said, oh, like my favorite type of prayer, what I find myself doing most often is just kind of like letting names come to mind or think of, of certain people and lifting them up to God and like praying for, for healing or consolation for them. Um, and I said, I just like said, like, yeah, I find it much easier to talk to God about other people than myself. Um, and in the moment, Jim was like, well, <laughs> if I were your spiritual director, I'd want to unpack that a little bit more. And that, that exchange has just kind of like stuck in my mind. And I kept like, thinking about it like why don't I want to talk to God about myself like do I think it's selfish um I had this feeling that I wanted to talk to God about myself and not because I felt guilty about not praying the right way which is like my usual mode but because I had like heard this invitation from God that he wants to know me and that like yes it's great to pray for your friends and family but you know he wants to know me and my challenges and struggles um, and joys. Uh, and I never really felt that way. It was always like, yeah, I know I should pray more. And it came from a feeling of like guilt and judging myself for not praying enough and less from this believing that God actually wanted to know me. So like I had that invitation and it came around the time of Lent. And so I've been really trying to take it to heart. Um, and, and it's been good. I've been really leaning into uh, the advice from Father Martin to to treat this as a relationship that I should nurture like any other one. And it's been, it's been fruitful. Mm, well, that's good on you to like take Jim's comment and, and actually dwell on it instead of, well, you're yeah. not my spiritual director, so we're going to move on from that. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. I'll get us out of here. This week's episode of Jesuitical was produced by Sebastian Gomes. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Faith formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. 
Jesuitical is a production of American Media in New York City. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.